But this morning, praise God, we're going to go into the book of Acts. We're still there, and I am enjoying this series. Amen? Why? Because we're learning about our history, what the church was about, how it got started, why we should be an Acts church. Amen? So, and I say that not lightly, but turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 4. Mike was reading the scriptures this morning on the offering, referring to where he's going next week. But mine is Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Let's start there first. I want you all to listen this morning and really stay focused. I won't be very long this morning, but I do want us to... I've got so many notes and so many study notes that I would drive you crazy if I go through this today. So I wrote and text everything down, copied and pasted, all kind of stuff. Got commentaries from Henry, got commentaries from the Blue Letter Bible. Got Just because I wanted to know the who, what, when, where, why. How many know what I'm talking about? When you're studying the Word of God... There's one thing that we have learned over the years of being in ministry for over 20 years is the church is about that deep in their theology. So let's start reading. And now in verse 23, 4, are you there? Say amen. amen. 4.23. And being let go, they went their own way to their own company and reported all that the chief priest and the others had said to them. So before I just can't start there, let's go back to where I believe Brother Markello was last week and let's talk about and bring it up to what are they doing. In the last study, it was Peter and John. They were before the Sanhedrin, remember? And basically, it was all about the, the function uh, of how that Sanhedrin works. So I want to talk about that a little bit to give you the dynamics of how important this study is today of the seriousness of the if that, that they were in. You remember prior to that, they healed the man on the steps. The next thing you know, praise God, he's jumping, leaping, praising God. He runs in and shouts to God. He's in a temple praising God. The next thing you know, the church leaders are saying, who did this? Who's the cause of this? What's going on? So... They were under the highest authority of the nation of Israel at that time. So Peter and John had been arrested and put in jail for preaching in the temple. And so the next day, they were brought before the Sanhedrin. Okay? So before we get to this, we need to understand something. That this was their first persecution as the church. Watch this now. You have miracles, praise God, and the next thing you know, you got persecution come. I'll never forget one time we had a man get healed from his leg. He had some kind of element with his leg. One leg was shorter than the other. Something his leg was healed. And somebody was visiting the church and, and went out and was spreading all kind of stuff that they were practicing some kind of magic tricks or something or tricking people over there that was banded. But you know what? It's funny how when miracles happen, you got skeptics, amen, and you got people that believe. But this is something that they were trying to figure out. So let's go back a little bit. Now, the nation of Israel was a theocracy. Now, that's a government ruled by God. Well, how does that work? How's God going to you know, rule a government? Um, it's always run through the priest. So the priests are the ones that handle that. The theocracy is a form of civil government in which God himself is recognized as the head. Isn't that nice? How about our democracy? Is God the head in a democracy? <laughs> The laws of the commonwealth are commandments of God, and they are actually what all is accredited to the representation of God, and the priesthood is all involved. So the earliest record uh, that we have of theocracy is found in Josephus, 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 sorry, Josephus. And, um, and it was talking about all the things that went on in that commonwealth, how it worked, how it formed. 
So contrasting this with forms of government, let's say like a monarchy, a democracy, a republic, or whatever we may be understanding, the uh, legislator Moses had no regard of any of those forms of government. So he's the one who actually was a part of this and saying that God is the one that is in control. Can somebody say amen? Now that's hard because even priests are, are subject to making mistakes, amen? So even it is, has its flaws. But the Israelites were commanded to tithe in order to support the, supreme, the priest. Tithing was that taxation that went into that government so that the Sanhedrin and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of that supreme court in that theocracy of Israel and the Sanhedrin ruled by serving as a combination of what they call a judicial, a, a, a legislation, and executive branch. It was all part of that that goes on. And so in reading that, I went, wow, that's pretty interesting. It started going a little deeper. And uh, Zondervan's notes I was reading in 6 AD, it says, when Judea was made a Roman providence, the Sanhedrin and its president, the high priest, were granted almost exclusive control of the internal affairs of the nation. It is during the period of the Roman procurators in 6 to 66 that the Sanhedrin came to possess the greatest power of the judicial system in history. Although the Jewish authority was always ultimately answered by the Roman government. So they still had the answer to the Roman government. Is anybody understanding what we're saying now? So in 30 AD, the great Sanhedrin lost its authority and they lost it the authority to inflict capital punishment. That's interesting. So in studying that, I went back and, oh, that makes sense. You remember the story when Jesus would carry the pilot? They carried him to Pilate, and they said, here, you know, Pilate said to him in, in John 18, 31, what did Pilate say? He said, no, take him yourself. Y'all take him back. And according to your law, the Jews said to him, no, we're not permitted to commit death or inflict that kind of thing. So it goes back to Pilate was trying to push it on the Sanhedrin. So y'all take care of this deal. And then what did Pilate do? He ended up saying to the people, which one y'all want to kill? Obviously, you want to kill this one, that one, Jesus. So, you know, everybody didn't want to touch this thing. They, they couldn't find anything wrong, but the Sanhedrin could not do that. So at the time of Christ in the New Testament, Israel as a nation was under Roman dominion. We have to watch this now. And if you know the history about Israel, you'll know that uh, most of their lives, if you study it out, they were under control of Gentile nations. So that's interesting. You know, it took many years now in the 19, what is it, 48, that Israel became its own nation, its own place. And that's foretold in Scripture. So now let's get back to where we were starting. So Peter and John went before the Sanhedrin with great boldness. Somebody say boldness. I don't know about you, but when somebody has a group of people, or you have a party, you could find that one that's bold in the room. You know, there's that one that just stands out. Or you go to a sporting event, and you sit there and listen, there's somebody that's bold enough just to stand up, jump, act a fool more than you. Bold, just stands up, say anything. And there's places we see that, but this ain't the boldness we're talking about. Um, so they were bold to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the court deliberated, I like this. You remember it says in closed doors, they went behind and spoke about this thing to which Peter and John had done. <laughs> Amen? The court threatened them and let them go because of the people. 
wasn't that they did something wrong. They couldn't find anything wrong other than the fact that, you know, they did something and healed somebody and they were trying to get credit for it. They're not too sure who's getting the credit for it, who did what, what, when, and where. But the bottom line is because they were fearful of the people. I like that. Whenever you start fearing people, you're going to make mistakes. When you start trying to please people, you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. Understand you can't please everybody. Amen. That is where we pick it up right here this morning. So Peter and John's left, and here we go. And when they had been released, somebody say released. I like to say it, they got released on parole. I mean, they didn't go to jail, they didn't get sentenced, they didn't get hung, they didn't get put to death. It just says they were released. They went to their own company. Somebody say own company. I don't know about you, when, when you're uh, like a Clemson fan and your team wins and you beat, uh, you beat the Maryland Terrapins, you don't go run into the own companion of the Maryland Terrapins and start shouting and praising God about winning the game. No, you go to your own company. You go to the old faithful arms and you, you go to that group. But here is funny, that they were released huh, to, and then they went to their own con company and they reported. Somebody say report. That's what we do. That's what we do as our own company. That's what Christians do. We come together. We go out and we work for God. We preach for God. We're bold for God. We do for God. And then we come back and we tell it to our own people. We don't go to Fat Harold's down there and go in the door and say, Hey, glory to God, I want ten souls. That's going to go over about as good as you could ever shake a stick at. And they said everything that the chief priest had said to them. Now, Peter and John went to their own company, and I want to start there. Number one, their own company. And this is how I saw it in one place here. We do not know who all was included. It doesn't really say, and I thought about this. I thought it was just the apostles, but it says that it may have been 12. It may have been either uh, the ones in the group in chapter 1, verse 13 that was mentioned, both of which meet in a house, and it was a larger group. And... Um, so we don't really know, but it doesn't really matter. So the two reported all that had happened to them. <laughs> and everything the chief priest had said to them. Hmm. You picture this. We, here's Peter and John. We got to preach to the Sanhedrin. We got to preach to the Sanhedrin. Oh, y'all don't get it. When you read that thing of how this happened, they got to preach the gospel to the Sanhedrin. They got to preach to the Sanhedrin. I can see it now. They were like, man, y'all should have been there with us. Boy, it was so cool. We had a one-on-one. -on -one. The Bible says when you're with God, he'll put you before kings and priests and highs and nations. And they got put in that position. Wasn't the easiest way to get put in that position, but they got put into that position. Amen? These threats coming as a form of the highest civil authority had the force of law. Hmm? Obedience to Christ would have here been costly, but Peter and John didn't return to their fellow Christians in a state of, oh, it was so terrible. We were just, oh, it was awful. We were imprisoned. Oh, God, they treated us so bad. They came back, glory to God. They didn't come back in a mental state and say it was terrible. They came back rejoicing, praise God. We were arrested for Jesus Christ. We went before the court in Jesus' name. And they told us not to say another word about this Jesus Christ. And we said, sorry, but we ain't going to do it. Ooh. 
Mm. They preach the resurrected Christ and him crucified, dead, buried, and rose again to the highest court of the land, which ours would be the Supreme Court today. Where are the boldness of Christians going before the Supreme Court today? And say this country is founded on the biblical principles of the loving God. Thou shalt not kill. That's as far as I'll go with that. But we see here that Peter and John was committed to community. They went immediately back and they got a corporate mindset. That's why the Bible says not forsaking the assembling together of the brethren. Because when you come back you can encourage one another. Man, yes we got arrested. Man, yes we went before the growth. But man, we're still here to praise God and tell you about it. We preached the gospel. They told us to go do this. We told them we weren't going to do it. We were ready to die, and they said, just get out of here. <laughs> you just don't go to court. The judge says, no, you promise not to preach Jesus anymore when you leave here today. No, I can't. You're, you're, you're a lot of authority, but my authority is higher than your authority. Come on, somebody. That's bold. That's just bold. Some people say that might be stupidity. <laughs> and so when they heard this, move on next. They lifted their voices to God in one accord and said, O Lord, it is thou that didst make the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. The first response of this group, whoo, they turned to God in prayer. That's powerful. When the group heard the representation of John and Peter, they immediately didn't go, all right, praise God, that's just great, you know, it's all good. No, they went, praise God, glory to God. We lift our hands up to you, oh God, and we thank you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God of heavens and earth. They knew that this was a miracle. You don't get away with that kind of stuff, with the highest court of the land. So they immediately go into prayer. <laughs> Do you go into immediate prayer and thank God that He is the creator of heaven and earth when you're going through a trial and a tribulation? Or do you get on your face, oh God, help me, I'm going through something. Oh God. They didn't tell them what they were going through. Matter of fact, they didn't even discuss one thing that I would have discussed first. Wonder what they're going to do when they catch me preaching Jesus again. Oh, y'all didn't hear me though. They got set free and they were excited. But did you not ask the next question? I wonder what they're going to do to them when they catch me preaching Jesus again. Maybe I should do it underground. Maybe I should hide out. No, glory to God. They just lifted their heads and voices into the high. And they heard the report of the Lord and they just praised Him for being the creator of heaven and earth. Can I get an amen? amen. A commentary uh, that I read about is one of the... Um, Nettleton, I think it is, one of the great leaders. or He was a preacher in the Great Awakening. And you think about, I like reading Great Awakenings. I like to read the revivals. I like to read the stuff, how God moved, where miracles take place. I love history of the old days. And that's why we're studying the book of Acts. There's so many more miracles that are coming in this book. The miracles wasn't just to have miracles. The miracles just to show the world signs so they'd come to Christ. That's really all the miracles are for. So, but he began a sermon, and here's what he said. There is no duty in Christianity, the practice of which Christ and the apostles, apostles pressed upon us more frequently than in prayer. This is how he started his sermon. 
amidst all the absurdities and heresies which have sprung up in the Christian world, we, now, we know of none who have dared to deny the duty of prayer. <laughs> Say duty of prayer. And that's about the excitement I thought I was going to get from that. The duty of prayer. <laughs> Many people do take, oh, God, has it gotten to this where we've got to pray now? Paul was so impressed about prayer that he even said, and he said, pray without ceasing. Why does the Bible tell us to pray without ceasing? America Church, let me just remind you, you've had the freedom of God, the freedom to go to church where you want, and you've had the freedom to do whatever you want in this country. But just as fast as we've had that and we have let that slip in this country and people have taken away those rights, you will eventually, if we live long enough, if the rapture don't happen, if you believe in the rapture, if you don't believe in the rapture, God comes back or you die, they are going to take that away from you. Do you realize somebody could take one quote from this sermon today and try to literally destroy this ministry by say, me saying one sentence, taking away my freedoms to say what I want to say? So prayer is the fundamental discipline. Now this is the key right here to everything that we're doing in this Acts chapter, this Acts book study. Prayer is the fundamental discipline of Christian life along with Bible study, fellowship, and witnessing. You got to have Bible study, fellowship, and witnessing. That's why I like Mike is so into studying now, and he's liking Bible study. He's trying to get you involved in Bible study. And then, of course, I believe that communion is a big part. The sacraments is the biggest part that many of the, uh, the uh, evangelical churches missed in the last few years of that taking the communion or, say, partaking of it. But basically, it's Bible study, fellowship, and witnessing. Somebody say witness. Whether you know it or not, you're a witness. Whether you know it or not, you're a witness. Everyone in this room is a witness. We could take 10 of the most common people you have hung around with in the last year, put them in a room, and under oath, you declare what that person's like to you. Give us your description of his witness or her witness. Don't lie. Tell it. You are a living witness today. Are you serving God, working for God, living for God? Or are you living for money or work? Or are you living for what? But the bottom line is we're all a witness whether you like it or not. But we're supposed to be witnessing for Christ. Thank you for that enthusiasm. Prayer is not something <laughs> that we don't all understand, but we don't always do it. I don't know about you. I've been guilty of this, to pray for instead of just pray. I pray for this and pray for that. I'll pray for you and you'll pray for me. Let's pray for this. Let's pray for that. But we are a country that loves to pray for stuff. Pray that I get that new job. Pray that I get that bigger house. Pray, Lord, that I make more money. Lord, I pray that I can get rid of this affirmity in my body. Lord, I pray that I could have this. I could have that. <laughs> you know, prayer is talking to God. Here, they just went and just thanked God for being the creator in heaven and earth. You know, if you serve a God of the creator of heaven and earth, he could do anything. Come on, somebody. You ain't even got to ask for it. If you hang out with your daddy enough when you were five or six years old and you're always hanging out with daddy, loving daddy, just wanting to be with daddy, you ain't got to say a thing. When he passes the ice cream shop, he just rips in his pocket and gets you an ice cream. I know, we grandparents now, if they just love on you, love you, Papa, that's all it takes. Where's the candy store? 
They didn't ask for nothing. I'm just saying there's a love of God that when we hang out with God, we just talk to God, that He just pours out on us the things that we need. <laughs> the things that we need. So, in all of this, I just want you to understand. Now, why become wise prayer not work for us? Because many times we're praying for things to change when God don't want them to change. We're, cha we're praying for things to go away, to come, and to be, and He don't want them to come, go, or be. Because we ain't reading the Word to understand that the Bible talks more about suffering than it does blessing. <laughs> suffering is in here. What they went through, the struggles they went through, many times it's ordained for certain things to happen. This one man wrote in his thing, he said, this changed my life. He said, let me give you a definition of prayer that changed my life. And he wrote it down and he said, prayer is a declaration of our dependence. Prayer is a declaration of our dependence. Oh my gosh, I got it then. I went, okay, my prayer is that when I'm praying, I'm praying to God because I know I can't. I can't preach. I can't be a father. I can't work. I can't sleep. I can't eat unless I know I'm dependent on God. See, we segment things, but God says, I want you all. I want all of you. I want you all. Lord, take my dining, dining habits. Lord, take my home. Lord, take my being a good husband. Lord, take all the stuff about being a grandfather. Lord, help me to teach Indiana more about God than trucks. Lord, I know he loves them, and that's great, and we also love toys when we're little, but let's make sure he knows God more than he knows anything else. Because it's in that, our dependence. And the first thing they did, they didn't ask for nothing. I'll just give you a little piece at the end here, and I won't be long. Five things were just declarations to God. The, next, the last two things in these scriptures was the petition of what they asked for. But the first five were, oh, glory to God to the heavens and the earth, the creator of heaven. Glory! Just came to God and just spoke to Daddy. Daddy, you're good. I know you're the creator. I know who you are. We ask God for forgiveness because we know we need forgiveness. We trust that he'll forgive us. Amen? You cannot pray effectively unless you plan to pray. Let me say that again. You cannot pray effectively unless you plan to pray. You've got to plan to pray. Got many read of something on Facebook. I don't have Facebook. She read it to me the other night. She says, those that are planning to go to church on Saturday night will be there Sunday morning. Is that how it went? It was something like that. Those that are planning on Saturday night to go to church will be there. But if you're just going to say, well, I'll see how it goes when I wake up, if I wake up on time, no, I had to set my clock this morning because my flesh did not want to get up. It did not want to come to church and preach. It did not want to come to sing. It did not. But sometimes you just got to tell you, flesh, shut up. You sing, praise God. Amen. <laughs> so with one accord. Now this is what I really like. They, they sang with one accord. I kept thinking they were praying in one accord. They lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, it, it isn't <laughs> that when you look it up, it wasn't that they all prayed together or that one prayed and everybody else agreed. Here it says the word voice here means singular. 
So everybody was doing their own, hmm. On one praying, everybody agreeing, everybody just automatically, their spirit just went up and just wanted to pray to God and sing to God. So they go to God in prayer. <laughs> All right, we asked that question. I just rebuked a few of you about prayer. Many times we understand that prayer is not just about asking God for stuff. So let's notice how they prayed. You want to know how they prayed? Okay, how did they pray? Oh Lord, it is Thou who dost make the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Oh Lord. Somebody say, Oh Lord. Some of us pray every all day long. Oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, mm, Lord. Mm. <laughs> oh Lord. But isn't it interesting? They don't cry out, Amen. They don't cry out, Oh my God, protect us from the Sanhedrin when we start preaching the gospel. Lord, just watch out wherever we go because they said if we do it, they're gonna get us. Lord, we pray that oh you'll protect us. Lord, pray that you kill them and get rid of them and get them, make them go away. No, the word, O oh Lord, normally the word Lord is translated from a word, kuros. But here is a Greek word, D-E-S-P-O-T-E, which we get the word which means huh, divine title, emphasis on O ownership, as to servants. They're crying out, O oh Lord, in this translation, huh, you are master. And we are slaves. Ooh. Oh, we as Christians today, now we want to be Jesus' best friend. We want to be closer to the brother. We just want him to be our, our buddy. Our buddy Jesus. But here, oh Lord, literally means, whoo, that powerful, that servanthood. Amen? For the use of the word shows us that the apostles saw themselves as slaves. They're at a point now, they're slaves to God. I don't know about you, but that's powerful. If the translation literally means that, huh, what about ourselves? Why don't we consider ourselves slaves to God? The Bible says you've been bought with a price. You're no longer your own. Well, why don't we read that scripture a little bit? You bought with a price. The blood of Jesus bought you. So don't you think, praise God, if he bought us, that we probably should be subject to that very one person that bought us? No, I'd much rather be a friend. I want him to love me and forgive me of all my sin. He sees my sin. He forgives me. He knows I got a good heart. The owner could command a slave to do anything, and it didn't matter what it was. They had to do it, whether you died. Huh? These Christians in this story right here said, Lord God, you are a master, and we are your slaves. Boy, this is going over so good. Y'all so quiet. Nobody wants to be a slave, but it sure does. The translation says it. I'm just, look, just quoting it from the Greek, and it's, it's something that we need to understand. It hit me too. It stomped me in the ground. What? I'm a slave to Jesus? When you got born again, saved and set free and had eternal life given to you, you now are not your own but bought with a price. You are, should be fired up that, thank God, you're not going to hell, and I'll do and say anything for you, Jesus. Yeah, I got four people said yes. But I didn't hear a bunch of people say, yes! <laughs> Woo, we'll submit no matter what. We'll submit no matter what. So then when you go there, you look and oh my gosh, 
These, Christ these Christians were acknowledging that God, you are our master. We are your slaves. We submit to you. And in their prayer, they acknowledge God as what? Creator. Creator of heaven and earth. And it's done many times in the Old Testament. But I'll just mention two. Deuteronomy, it's mentioned there. Deuteronomy 4. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, O God of Israel, who art thou to enthrone above the cherubim? Thou art thy God. Thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made the heavens and the earth. Remember that? Remember that? They were getting ready to, the Assyrians were threatened to take over. And Hezekiah went and started praying. He just prayed, God, you're just a king. You're the Lord. You're, you're powerful. You're all my... He didn't come out and say, Lord, do this, do that. Give me the power to do this. Give me 400 more, more or soldiers. Uh -uh, nah. He was praying the same thing the apostles were in the New Testament, same thing in the Old Testament. See, Jeremiah 32 did the same thing. It's a parallel where Jeremiah was thrown into jail, remember, and then king of Judah for prophesying in Jerusalem. You remember that story? <coughs> and Israel hmm, would fall to the Babylonians. Hmm. O Lord, he cried, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth and thy great power and by thy outstretched arms. Nothing is too difficult to thee. Man, these people were facing unsurmountable odds and they didn't just jump out there and pray for their need. They just prayed to God and thank God for being king of their lives. The key phrase here is based on God as creator and heavens of earth. And if you know that God is your king, your power, your creator, the heavens and earth, then I got news for you today, church. There is nothing too difficult for you. When you got God on your side and you know he's in your corner, you know you're a slave to him and he's the master, it doesn't matter how many come against you, praise God, you will be all right. Can I get an amen? Didn't say you wouldn't suffer. Because we got a whole bunch of people in here that suffer. So, what does, what does this prove in this point? It proves in this point that they use Scripture. These boys in the, in the, in the apostles, they prayed, and they used Scripture to back up what they're praying. They prayed Scripture of the Old Testament. And by the sounds of it, they were memorized it because they just came out and said it. They said, well, let me, let me turn to the book here, turn to Deuteronomy before, let me read this. No, this is coming out of their belly. They knew the Scriptures. They were using Scriptures. You cannot pray effectively without praying the Scriptures of God. You can pray your will all you want or what you want, but you'll never get the effectiveness unless you back it up with Scripture. Could I get an amen? <clears throat> Paul also said, For by him all things were created, both the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible. Remember Paul said that? By the dominions and the rulers of authorities, all things have been created by him, and all before all things, and in him all things together. <laughs> That's Paul in the New Testament. The church found comfort in Scripture, and they used Scripture. So the early Christians recognized that God, hmm, God even had predicted things to happen, things that would come true, that, that suffering was a part of it. This stuff just didn't happen sometimes. It happened because it was predicted to happen. Hmm. Do you remember the story? Jesus said, I must suffer. I must die and rise again. I must. Okay? 
So in this, in Psalms, was predicting the actual facing of this critical moment. And so we have it again, and he says in Acts 4, 25 and 26. Go down a little bit and let's read there. Who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, thy servant did say, how did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand against the Lord and against us, his Christ. So the one leading this prayer knew Psalms chapter 2, okay? Knew it and memorized it, obviously. So what does it say in Psalm? Why are the nations in an uproar? And the peoples devise a vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rules, rulers take the counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. This is talking about Jesus Christ here. This relates to Jesus Christ. It predicts the, the vain attempts of the Jewish people to destroy Christianity as we know it. Notice the reaction now. This is God's reaction every time somebody tries to stop you and your boldness and you're doing what God's telling you to do. He who sits on the heavens laughs. <laughs> somebody said, I wonder if God laughs. He who sits in the heavens last, the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in fury. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountains. God laughs at every attempt that is coming against you when you're doing his will for him. God laughs at them. He laughed at the Sanhedrin. He laughed at Pilate. He laughs when people try to come against his plan. Mm -hmm. I would go a little bit more into that, but I don't want to. There's so much more notes that just is unbelievable. But in Acts 4, 27 and 28. For truly in this city there were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, but Herod and Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever the hand of thy purpose to predestine to occur. Ooh. I don't know about you, but we all want blessing, 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 blessing. But sometimes there's predestined things that are going to happen. There's predestined evil that's going to happen. There's a reason why God allowed 9-11. There's a reason why there's wars and fighting and crime. In this city, which refers to Jerusalem, these different powers in this league together against God's anointed are determined to prevent the accomplishment of this purpose. But in Psalms 2 that we read, hey, it happens. Exactly quoted. They read it and going, oh my gosh, it's foretold by David in the Psalms. These things would happen. <laughs> what does predestined mean? Predestined means literally horizon or horizon literally translates pre-horizon or horizon, horizon, horizon. And it means boundaries between earth and sky. The Greek word literally means to establish boundaries. Hmm. Predestined. God has predestined boundaries of good and evil to allow it to happen. Don't ask me why. I can't give you much more details of the fact, but I do know I used to think I could pray something and it'd go away. I could pray something so hard if my faith was right, that thing I was praying would go away. But you know what? You better make sure it's God's will. <laughs> If it's God's will and God's plan, it'll happen. If it ain't God's will and God's plan, it won't happen. So 
God predestines all things, even evil deeds. We know and we understand this because His anointed one, Jesus, had to go through suffering to get to His plan. Amen? Someone say amen. And He began to teach them, the Son of Man must suffer many things and reject all the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. See, suffering and death for Christ is a part of that predestined plan. I don't know what you're going through today, but many times you just got to say, God, is this a predestined plan? If it is, maybe I should pray for something else. I'll never forget a great man of God was praying for a woman for healing. She had her surgery and she had her open womb and they just had a cloth over it and she was deathly sick and he went to pray for her. And as he was praying for healing, the Holy Spirit said, that ain't what she needs. She needs to get healed from that bitterness that she's holding against her family member. You know, sometimes we're praying for something to happen. There's something deeper going on than just the external. So now after five verses, now here we are, of them just praising God, now the two verses come, and now that we know, they say it like this. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant thy bond service. May speak the word with all boldness. Lord, just take note what they did, take note what they said, but Lord, here's what we want. With regardless of all that we went through and all that we may go through, just grant us the boldness to preach your word. Don't let us stop preaching your word. We got somebody out here to snuff my flame out, but Lord, I'm praying that it don't get snuffed out. Gosh, that's knowing God there at church. While thou do extend thy hand to heal, see, and there are signs and wonders that do take place through the name, the Holy Servant Jesus. See, they believe, the, the believer's prayer now is, Lord, take note. Just take note, but that's all I want you to do is just, I'm going to mention it in 18 and 23. And what, look at their threats. But, but grant that thy bondservant may speak thy word with boldness. The title of my message is one thing to be bold, it's another thing to have boldness. See, they were full of boldness. And that's what it takes in order for us to understand that what's going to change every circumstance is the Word of God. What's going to change everything is the Scriptures that we read. One word from God can change a person's life. Why do you think the devil don't want you to read it? Why do you think the enemy doesn't want you to go to church? Why do you think the enemy just don't want you to have anything to do with God? Well, I don't know if I believe in that word or not. Oh, they got you good there too. No, no. Uh-uh. They said, let us, let us be bold to preach your word. Man, where's the church that's full of boldness today to preach the word, say the things that we need to say? There are churches today where we'll not say Jesus Christ in their service because it could offend people. They'll say God, but they will not say Jesus Christ. This is no joke. I read this all the time in all kind of magazines. There are churches that will stop saying Jesus Christ. Churches! So what does it mean? Free, fearless, confident, cheerful, courage, boldness, assurance. It's said three times in these passages that we're dealing with. The prayer of boldness is what we're looking for, church. So in this boldness, we need to understand There's a responsibility to carry this gospel. The reason why the church is failing, that America's falling morally, because we dropped the ball and boldly preaching the gospel. Not boldly coming in and saying, you need to go to church and go to hell. You need to read the Bible and go to hell. 
You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. We were such a church for 20 years. You need to do, need to do, need to do. Nobody wanted to, need to, do. Nobody wanted to do what you said I need to do. I want to do what you said I need to do. But you show me a person that's full of life and joy and shouting and glory and they got life and witness in their life and they're, they're happy and they're getting along good and life is good because they know God. You ain't got to get on your hands and knees and kneel up and down, up and down five times a day to know God. We just got to make sure we confess to Him, talk to Him, do what the Word of God says. But what I'm encouraging and hope I can do today is just simply impart that into us, that boldness. And it's going to come and get worse, and it's going to get better as the chapters go on. But the key here was that they prayed for boldness, received boldness. They didn't ask for them to wipe out their enemies, take out the government, put a new leader in, vote for this candidate, vote for that, let's get that candidate out, let's get that. No, they said, God, we just know you're in control here, you're the heavens and earth, we love you. Praise God, just give us more boldness to make sure we stay on track of what we're called to do. Because in this, we will succeed. Politics fail, governments collapse, people are flawed. So let's make sure this morning, praise God, stand to your feet. I'm telling you, I know it's hard to be bold about the gospel. Sometimes it's hard to be bold about Jesus. I don't know about you, but can you remember back where there was a time when you were bold, when you got saved and fired up for God? Is there a time that you can remember that you were just fired up, just love God? Notice this, they just knew God was God. They just prayed to God and thanked Him for being the creator of heaven and earth. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the boldness, the boldness to preach and speak your word. The reason why the church today has no effectiveness is because no one's speaking the word. You might speak politics. You might speak your opinion. You might speak what your druthers are, but no one's speaking the word. That's why I thank Michael and for doing the Bible study because we're just simply putting out the Word of God, teaching people the Word of God. So when we do face people with problems, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to be a witness to say I can help you, but I'm going to give you a word, praise God, that's going to help you, praise God. Amen?